We're going to start, we'll start at verse 1, we'll do the whole book today, it's only 13 verses. Uh, 3 John 1 says this, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of the Lord, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. It's interesting, human behavior is remarkably predictable. You know, we like to think that we just kind of make our own decisions, but when you think about human behavior as a whole, we're remarkably predictable. Don't believe me? Well, Let's try this experiment. For the next 10 seconds, I want you to think about anything except for a purple rhinoceros. So 10 seconds. My guess is that everybody in this room thought about a purple rhinoceros. The fact that I brought it up makes it more likely that you would think about it. If I didn't talk about a purple rhinoceros, you probably would never think about such a thing. Another example, if I were to give you a new pen and said, hey, try out this new pen, I, have, I could predict with a greater than 90% certainty what you're going to write. You'd write your name. That's what people do. It's a predictable thing. It's, you know, no one says that you have to write your name, but you get a new pen, you often write your name. Uh, researchers several years ago from Northwestern University analyzed data from 100,000 different cell phone users and kind of just looked at their location data. And they were able to predict their movements within the next hour with 93% accuracy. They were able to predict where they were going in the next hour with 93% accuracy because people are often predictable. And if individuals are, are sometimes predictable, I mean, as groups, we're very predictable. Like last week, it was Friday night, I was out in East Amherst running some errands with my family, uh, and we were hungry. And so we were trying to find somewhere to eat, but everywhere we went was, like, just mobbed. Why? It's Friday night. If you go out to eat on Friday night, chances are it's going to be really crowded. Now, there could be a Friday night where everyone decides, well, I'm not going to go out. I'm just going to eat at home. And there could be nobody in the restaurants, but by and large, you go out Friday night, it's busy. You go Saturday to the grocery store. That's when a lot of people do grocery shopping. It's going to be busy. So there's these patterns that we have as human beings that we're kind of predictable. Um, as Easter is approaching, we know a lot of things are going to happen. More candy is going to be sold. 
More flowers are going to be sold. More fish is going to be sold and, and eaten. Now, any given year, it's, everyone could decide, hey, I'm not doing candy this year. I'm not buying flowers. But we're predictable that these are the things that generally happen. You get to uh, summertime. More ice cream is going to be eaten. People eat more ice cream in the summertime. Politically, we're often very predictable. Uh, of course, New York is a very blue democratic state. So as we look like towards the 2024 presidential election, and there's a high probability that New York will vote Democrat like New York has since 1988. Or you look at a state like Wyoming, which is like the reddest state in the country, uh, and they've voted since 1964, they voted Republican in every presidential election. So there's a good likelihood they're going to vote Republican in the next presidential election. Now on November 4th, 2024, everyone could get up and change their mind, and Wyoming could vote Democrat, and New York could vote Republican. But people are predictable. We don't expect things like that to happen. And just like people are predictable, human nature is often predictable. And it's, it's interesting as we look at the Bible and the things that are described by the writers of Scripture. We know it's, you know, human beings were writing with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and the things that they write about are remarkably similar. That we see these patterns of human nature because over the last 2,000 plus years, you know, lots of things have changed, but human nature hasn't changed. And, and this book is kind of interesting in that uh, it's a really short book, shortest book in the Bible, and it's almost like we're, like, reading a, kind of a work email, like, between two parties that we're not a part of, that maybe we're copied in on the email, and we see what they're saying and, and what the argument is, but uh, we don't know the full details of it. And, and so the question is, like, why is this passage, why is this book included in the Bible? And I think one of the reasons it's included in the Bible is because it shows us kind of a pattern for what church life is often like. It provides us kind of a template of what the internal dynamics of a church often resemble. And specifically, I think it shows us four different types of church members uh, that are present in just about every church that has ever existed from the time of John uh, to the present. And so we're going to look at these four different types of church members that we see in this passage. And we see the first one uh, are those who walk in the truth. And this is represented by Gaius. Uh, who was Gaius? We have no idea who he was. No idea. There were a couple other people in Scripture who were, whose name was Gaius, but kind of given the details uh, of those, you know, where they appear in Scripture, probably not the same Gaius. Uh, but it was an extremely common name, one of the most common names uh, in the ancient world. So we don't really know anything about him except for what we see in the Scripture right here. But what he's described here as walking in the truth. Now, when we think about truth, oftentimes we have this dichotomy between doing and believing. Like there's believing the truth, like I have this set of propositions that I hold on to, like I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I believe in God's Word, and there's this truth that I hold on to. And that's this aspect of my life. And then over here is like how I behave. But for the writers of Scripture, and John specifically, there's no difference between you know, the truth and walking in it. That to believe and embrace the truth means walking in the truth. That you can't believe the truth of the gospel and not walk in that truth and live in light of it. In 1 John, uh, John describes that. And, and he says this in 1 John 1, 5 to 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so for John, walking in the truth is believing the truth and applying that to our life, specifically believing the truth that God, of God to the extent that it causes us to love God and love other people in our lives. And so we know that Gaius was someone whose heart was right with God. He says, it's, Paul, or John is praying that his health, he would have good physical health, just like his soul is healthy. Uh, he was known for his hospitality. There would be traveling evangelists that would come through the area. And Gaius was somebody who provided for them, probably provided food and lodging for them, and just showed the love of God to them. And this, of course, demonstrates his love for people, but also his love for the gospel and the spread of the gospel. Uh, John talks about these traveling evangelists or missionaries who accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, that's something that maybe doesn't make sense to us. What does it mean that he, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles? It seems like a strange thing to say. But when he's saying that they, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles, what John is saying is that they're going out as missionaries to serve the nations, not to take from the nations. And so they're going to proclaim the gospel. And as they're going throughout the region proclaiming the gospel, they're not going to areas and saying, hey, give me some money and then I'll share Jesus with you. They're missionaries. They're sent with a purpose not to gain wealth, but to share the love of Christ. And so John says that, you know, the churches have an important responsibility is that they're the ones that are to support these missionaries so that they can be free to go and share the love of Christ with these people who may have needs and not take from them. And so John says that Gaius is someone who's a fellow partner, a fellow worker in the gospel, a worker in the truth. And so Gaius is the first type of church member who's committed to the truth, who lives in the reality of the truth, walks in the truth, and that expresses itself in loving God and loving people. And every church has people like that, people who love God and others well. So that's the first type of church member we see, those who walk in the truth. Then we see in, in this passage those who are always walking, and that's represented by Demetrius. Uh, Demetrius, again, we don't know anything about him except for what we see in this passage, um, but he's commended by John, and it says that he received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Demetrius was most likely a courier, uh, meaning that he was carrying the letter from John to whoever this church, uh, you know, wh wherever this church was. Now, just a little bit about a speculation about Demetrius. Now, the fact that he was a courier, meaning that he was transporting this letter, probably indicates that he was either someone who was very young or someone who was considered to be not all that significant. Because if you were having, you know, carrying a letter over a long distance, you wouldn't have someone who was old, who was having trouble walking, doing something like that. You'd have someone who was young, who was agile, who was able to carry that message. You also wouldn't take someone from the church that you felt like you couldn't live without, and so we see in this passage, there's only a few lines of, of Demetrius. We, we don't know anything about him except for the fact that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy, and he, he, he serves. He does what needs to be done. And in every church, there's people who do that, who serve. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe, you know, nobody knows about what they do. Maybe it's doing something that seems insignificant, but they're just there with a servant's heart ready to serve rather ready to do whatever it takes to, to love others and share the gospel. 
The famous preaching professor, Howard Hendricks, once shared the following story. He says, I was ministering in Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. We had a Thursday morning father-son breakfast at 6.30. It was to be over by quarter of eight. There were many people from the military, quite a few people from various government offices, some craftsmen, laborers of various kinds, really quite a mix. After I had finished speaking and the meeting was dismissed, I looked over to my right and there was Senator Mark Hatfield stacking chairs and picking up napkins that had fallen on the floor. He said, ladies and gentlemen, if you're impressed that you're a United States senator, you don't stack chairs and pick up napkins. And if you're impressed that you're God's gift to the body of Christ, as the great preacher of this age, you don't stoop to serve. If you're impressed that really you are the greatest thing that has ever happened to your local church, you do not serve, you live to be served. And so at every church, there's people who just have that servant's heart. And, and all of us are to have that servant's heart. But there's some people that just exemplify that where just whatever needs to be done, whether it's stacking chairs or whatever, even if it goes unnoticed, they're just willing to serve. And so those are the first two church members, those who walk in the truth, those who live out the reality of the gospel, love others, love God well, and those who serve, those who have that heart and are always serving. And then we see those who walk with others. Uh, that's represented by John. And these are the shepherds in life. And when I say shepherds, I'm not talking about just pastors. I'm not talking about just leaders, but people who take an active interest in other people. We see the love just that John has for Gaius as he, he says that I love, whom I love in the truth. He calls him beloved a couple times. You just see the way that he talks with John he just, or with, about Gaius. He just has this uh, a godly affection for him. He says that he has no greater joy than his children walk in the truth. And I, I think he has this mindset where it's not just about him. It's about caring for those around him. We live in a very consumeristic and individual, uh, my individualistic uh, culture. And sometimes I think we take this mindset and we kind of import it into how we view church. And sometimes we view church as like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? Like, I'm going to go and put my time in and like, what am I going to walk away with. And, and sometimes for people, it's like, okay, like if the worship was on point and maybe if the message like spoke directly to me, like that was a successful service. Like I got something out of it. And sometimes that happens and sometimes that's great. I mean, that's awesome when that happens. But other times, you know, maybe we go to church and it's like, I didn't feel like I got anything out of it. Like what was the point? And sometimes people are like, okay, I didn't get anything out of the service today. Well, then that's great. That's okay. I mean, but what are you putting into it? Because we don't come to church just to be fed. We also come to church to, to be life to those around us. And sometimes we'll come to church and, you know, we'll hear the word that's spoken to us, uh, just to us, and maybe there'll be somebody in our life that just encourages us or challenges us, and we're like, man, I just feel filled. And other times we'll be like, I, I didn't get anything out of it. And sometimes we're here to, you know, to be filled. Sometimes we're here to fill others. It's not just about us. I heard about this thing recently. It's been around for a few years now. Um, but I just heard about it. It's called a silent disco. Uh, silent disco is uh, where you put on headphones and you have like, it's like a dance party, but you put on headphones. There's no sound through sound system. Now, it started out 
I think more for like noise ordinances, so you could have a party and you know wouldn't have to play loud music. Um, but then it shifted from being like for the sake of you know keeping things quiet, um, and it shifted so that people were not necessarily listening to the same thing. That you could put on headphones and you could be dancing around, and I could be listening to one thing, and you could be listening to something some, something else, and the next person could be listening to something else, and so you have you know, a bunch of people that come together and they're all dancing and they're all, you know, moving around, but they all have their headphones on. They're all singing a different song, dancing to a different song. Because, all you know, it's, it's individual. And sometimes I think we view church like that sometimes. That I'm come together with other people, uh, but I'm on my own station. I got my headphones on. It's like just me and God. Like that's all that matters, just me and God. And we are just kind of listening to our own music. We can't even hear what our neighbor is saying. We can't hear what's going on in our neighbor's life. And it's like, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure what he's listening to or what she's listening to, but it doesn't matter. I'm just having a good time. And I think when we have that mindset, it's no wonder sometimes people don't see the value of church. Because when we think about, like, a church service as, like, a product, like, that I'm going to be fulfilled, I mean, you could stay at home and you could... You know, find the greatest worship music, and you could have your Bose stereo, and you could have a nice subwoofer, and you could, you know, pick out your playlist and, like, have it as loud as you want or as soft as you want. And then after that, you could, like, listen to your favorite, you know, preacher that's the best communicator you could ever imagine. And if you want, you could stay home and get a better product. You could maybe even feel more filled. But you've missed something important. And that the church, it's not just about coming to, to meet with God. It is, but it's coming to meet with God together. It's not just about coming to grow. It's about coming to grow together. I mean, think about it. Easter is coming up. And many of us for Easter will be celebrating Easter with family, whether that's um, our immediate family or extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, parents, you know, whatever. Each of us has different traditions. But as we think about, like, holidays... Why do we spend the holidays with our family? Is it because we always get along with them? No. Is it because we expect like to have the most amazing time at these parties? Is it because we expect like we're going to just have a blast and we're going to leave filled and excited? Probably not. Is it because we expect to have the most amazing food that we could never find better food anywhere else? No. We spend the holidays with our family because they're our family. So why do we spend Sundays together? Because we're family. Because we're family. Yeah, we hope to get something out of it. Yeah, ideally that, that's great. But we come together because we're family, because we need to be filled, but we also need to fill others as well. And in any, any family, there are parents, there are grandparents, there are different generations, and there's children, grandchildren, and some people are like Gaius in that they're like just trying to kind of figure out the Christian life. They're just like, okay, like my life is a mess and I'm just trying to figure this whole God thing out. And that's, that's awesome. If, the, if you're in that place and just seeking God and seeking to love, love God and, and learn God's plan for your life, that's, that's great. That's, that's awesome. But the problem comes when maybe we've been Christians for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or maybe more years, and we still don't know how to walk. We still don't know how to walk. We still, it's all about me. It's all about me growing. 
And we still have this internal mindset rather than reaching out to care for others. Shepherds take an active interest in helping others to walk. In answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper? Shepherds say, yes, I am my brother. I am my sister's keeper. And my greatest joy is that my kids would walk in the truth. Note also that there's no competition here. No competition. Some people maybe are chronologically, spiritually, maybe further along than other people, but there's no competition here. Because unless there's, you know, a bad pathology, there's no competition between a parent and a child. I, I think about my son, and I, I don't know what my son will do with his life. I don't think he'll become a pastor, um, but who knows, maybe he would. And if he decides to become a pastor, I hope he's ten times the preacher that I am. I, I hope he's so much better with people than I am. I hope that he loves God and loves people so much better than I do. Because he's my son, I want the best for him. And, and so if we're a shepherd, if we're caring for those around us, it's not a competition like, oh, I'm better than this person. It's like, I love this person. I love this person, and I want this person to be better than me. I, I want them to accomplish so much more than I could even accomplish. Because I care for them. And so there's no competition there. It's about caring for those around us, taking responsibility. Uh, Kelvin Miller, writer, uh, once told a story about how he was walking through the children's hospital in Omaha. And he saw this child that was a little less than two years old, and he was clearly very sick, hooked up to all different sorts of tubes and whatnot. And kind of feeling bad for him, he asked the nurse, so what's, what's, what's wrong with this little child? And the nurse said, well, I'm glad that you asked. Um, he's, got really sick. He's, he's really sick. He's probably not going to make it past two years old. Um, but the worst part about it is that his mother died in childbirth, and his father is in a penitentiary. Um, and so nobody even asks about him. He's just there by himself. Commenting on that, Miller said this, I walked out of the hospital that day thanking God that my two children are well and that it wasn't my baby. Then it seemed like out of the very atmosphere around me, God said, yeah, that is your baby. There are spiritual orphans all around us, and there's a tendency we have in our individual culture that just throw up our hands and say, not my problem. I got my own problems. I'm not going to worry about other people's problems. But another person's problem in the body of Christ is our problem too. And, and of course, we can't change people. We can't make people make decisions. We can't you know, force people to go on the right path. But we can choose, I'm going to love the person. I'm going to be there for them. When they need support, I'm going to support them. When they need challenging, I'm going to challenge them. And so we can take that concern where you know, it's not just about what I'm gaining but it's also, I care about the person sitting next to me. And I want them to grow. And I want them to experience the joy of Christ. Galatians 6, 1-2, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so shepherds recognize that we're all in this together and care about those around them. So there's three church members, and then we see the fourth, thir the first three are positive, the, the fourth is negative, and the fourth is those who walk in the flesh. 
This is represented by diatrophies. Um, and this is a temptation for all of us to walk in the flesh. And I mean, there's some people that make it a habit to walk in the flesh, but I think all of us can have a tendency to, to, to do that from time to time. Because we have a sin nature and we can have that, that temptation to go back to that sin nature. And so we see Diotrephes does a number of things that are harmful to the body of Christ. Number one, it says that in the text that he likes to put himself first. That is for Diotrephes, it's his way or the highway. That his goals, his desires are supreme over the goals and desires of everyone else and of Christ. And so we can see this play out in, in churches in a number of different ways. You know, for some people, it's like, my preferences come first. And, and that's why, you know, you've, there's been churches that have split, like, over the color of a carpet. Like, you know, they're renovating and like, oh, I wanted this to be this color, I want it to be that color. Or uh, churches that have split over uh, worship music that, like, I want more hymns or I want less hymns or I want it softer or I want it louder or I want this instrument or I want that instrument. And when we have that mindset, it's like, my preferences are what matter. My preferences are what is right. It doesn't matter about the mission of God or what we're trying to accomplish. It's my preferences that matter most. Or it can take the form of like my feelings are what matter most. Sometimes when people get in conflict with someone else and they want to be right rather than humble themselves and forgive and love the other person. And they hold on to this feeling that I've been wronged. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. I've been wronged. And so we just hold on to these things. And so Diotrephes, he puts himself first, puts his desires first. See, secondly, he doesn't acknowledge authority. We don't know if Diotrephes was a leader in this particular church. I, I think he probably was, given the fact that he's kicking people out of this church and has uh, this influence. We don't know that for sure, but he doesn't acknowledge the authority of the, the apostles. It says that he basically is disregarding what John says. And for him, it's like, this is my church, it's my way or the highway. And so he doesn't have a humble, teachable spirit. He doesn't acknowledge authority. And he has this mindset, no one is going to tell me what to do. So he puts himself first. He doesn't acknowledge authority. And then we see that he engages in gossip against John and the other authorities. Gossip is interesting. It's something that we all know is wrong. Um, and it's something that it's easy for all of us to fall into. It's very easy to fall into. But also it's something that we don't always know what it is. Sometimes people think gossip is just like sharing, you know, false information about someone else. And that's kind of more, I mean, that could be gossip, but that kind of borders more on slander than gossip. But what is gossip? Uh, I found a definition, I think that it was really helpful to me in kind of thinking about this issue. I, I don't have any idea. I tried to find who spoke it or wrote it, but I couldn't find it. Um, but the definition that I found I thought was really helpful is this. Gossip is when two or more people are talking about a problem without being part of the solution. Gossip is when two or more people are talking about a problem without being part of the solution. When two, people are, two or more people are talking about a problem being a, not part of the solution. Gossip doesn't ask the question, how can I fix this? Gossip asks the question, how can I use this information to make myself feel better or to make, some, or, or to make myself look better? So an example how this could play out. Say after the service today, Pastor Mike comes up to me and says, your sermon today really stunk, just like it usually does. Now, of course, Pastor Mike wouldn't say that. Even if he had good reason to think that in his mind, he wouldn't say that to me. But let's say he did. 
And, and let's say I was offended by that. Now, there's a couple different ways I could handle that. Number one, I could pray about it and then approach him and say, hey, Mike, what you said, uh, maybe my sermon did stink. I mean, maybe you're right on that, but the way that you put it, it just it, it hurt my feelings. And have a conversation with him about that. So that's one way that I could handle it. I think that would be an appropriate way. Another way I could handle it would be after the service, I could go up to Patrick and say, hey, Patrick, you would not believe what Mike said to me. Like, how dare he say that to me? Now, that might make me feel better. I have someone that's kind of on my side, that understands my point of view. But is that going to help? No. I mean, how's that going to help fix the problem? I'm just bringing him into that problem. And, and now maybe, you know, I had a negative view of Mike, and I was angry at Mike. And maybe now that I tell Patrick, maybe Patrick's mad at Mike. And maybe he thinks, how dare Mike talk to Matt like that? Like, how dare he? And then maybe he goes and tells Jesse and say, Jesse, you would not believe what Pastor Mike said to Pastor Matt. And then maybe Jesse tells Kim. Jesse says, you would not believe what Pastor Mike said to Pastor Matt. And so something that's just between us, between me and Mike, that could be fixed, that we could work out, has evolved to, to include several other people to magnify the issue and not solve the issue. And so that's what gossip does. It magnifies an issue because it's not about fixing it it's about making myself feel better or look better and it's something it's easy for all of us to fall into it's not it's not something that's above any of us we can all fall into it but there's one way that we can stop gossip in its tracks and i think the way that we stop it is through prayer prayer not i'm not, I'm not talking about praying that we wouldn't gossip talking about praying for the people that maybe we have a tendency to gossip about. Evangelist Leonard Ravenhill put it this way, we never pray for folks we gossip about. We never gossip about the folk for whom we pray. If we care about other people, if we're praying for them, if we're seeking their, their good, we won't have any reason to, to gossip about them. So that's, what, that's another thing that um, Diatrophes is doing. He's gossiping. Finally, he refuses to love those around him and is a hindrance to other service. Unlike Gaius, he doesn't provide for the evangelists who are traveling. He doesn't provide hospitality. Uh, probably just out of selfishness, he doesn't want to you know, take from what he has to give to somebody else. Um, and he's also preventing other people from doing that. He's kicking people out of the church who are providing for these missionaries. And we don't know why he does this. We don't, I mean, this is all we have, but perhaps, you know, he, he thinks, okay, you know, people should be giving to this church and this body, and so they're helping other people, and so maybe he feels like it's being taken from him. We don't know the case. But he's hindering those around him from doing what they've been called to do. And so there we have the four church members, those who walk in the truth, those who have this mindset that I want to learn from Christ, I want to apply the truth to my heart, that I'm walking in it, and this expresses itself in loving God and loving people. Then there's those who are always walking, those who are always willing to serve, always willing to lend a hand, those who just have a servant's heart. Then we have those who shepherd, those who walk with others, those who have this mindset, it's not just about what I'm getting from God. It's not just about what I can receive, but I also care for those around me. 
that I also care about their problems, their issues, that I want them to succeed, that I want them to, to be even better than I am. And then finally, those who walk in the flesh, who put themselves first, who refuse to acknowledge authority, who engage in gossip, and refuse to love those around you. And so the question for all of us to consider is, how are we walking today? Are we in one of those first three categories? Should we be moving to another? Maybe we've been, you know, maybe been walking with Christ for a long period of time, and we love Jesus, but it's, also, it's, it's always been just about me and Jesus. Maybe today Jesus is calling us to say, hey, that's great. Keep, keep, it, keep at it, but also care for your neighbor. Uh, maybe some of us, maybe we're just getting started on the Christian journey, and, and maybe you know, we're just kind of learning to walk, and that's, that's awesome too. I mean, we need to be able to walk before we can help others to walk. And so that's great. So leave us today with the words of the Apostle John. As we look at this passage, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even in a book like this that it seems like, why would you have this in your Bible? We can learn things, that we can be challenged, that we can grow, that we can see a pattern for your church. Lord, we all come to this place in different places. Maybe there's some people here maybe who don't even have a relationship with you. Maybe there's some here who maybe just need to take that next step. Maybe there's some who need to repent of living in the flesh. I don't know where everyone is today, but Lord, I just pray that wherever we are today, that we would have the courage, that your Holy Spirit would give us the power to take that next step, whatever that step would be. And that as we do so, your body would be strengthened. And that all of us would love God and love people with all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray.